Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have a conversation with Michael Wharton, Principal Machine Learning Engineer at Kung Fu AI. Michael is also a computer vision expert who developed and deployed multiple remote sensing data segmentation and classification algorithms on U.S. government platforms, and he was also a former senior engineer at SpaceX. So in this episode, we discuss some of the biggest hurdles to AI adoption today, his view on artificial intelligence and machine learning, and his vision around containers and the role they play in the next few years. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am also doing doing well and super excited to have you on, on the gumbo today. And you and I were going, going to have a, a great conversation. And I guess before we do that, why don't you maybe give us a short introduction of yourself and also the company that you represent? Sure. So my name is Michael Wharton. I'm a director of engineering here at uh, Kung Fu AI. And my background is in aerospace engineering and computer science. But recently, I've been focused a lot more in the artificial intelligence world. Previously, I worked at SpaceX for about five years doing mostly mechanical engineering, a lot of fluid system structures, test data analysis. Um, also worked at Applied Research Labs for a while in Austin doing remote sensing. So a lot of, a lot of different stuff. But here at Kung Fu AI, we're a consultancy. And our mission is to just bring artificial intelligence technologies to companies that might not otherwise have those capabilities in-house. Uh, we help build systems that enhance whatever product or whatever they have in place already. And the use cases vary all over the place. It's computer vision, NLP, forecasting, recommender systems, analytics, basically everything. Um, but we have specialists for each one and mm -hmm. you know, we're a consultancy. So it's a uh, it's very varied and really exciting. Okay, and, and just to start us off, so we, we don't have anything to worry about with AI, right? Like things that, that Elon Musk is saying and uh, we're all doomed. And how many years do we have before that actually happens? Is that more than 100 years out? Or? Oh, I think anyone that tells you that they have a specific <laughs> number of minds probably lying to you anyway. I don't think anyone really knows. <laughs> but I can tell you that there are some very dedicated people that are involved in, at really high levels that are trying to focus on making sure that things are deployed in an ethical and responsible way, ourselves included. Awesome. I, I am glad to hear that. And maybe you can also start us off with, I guess, the the reason why you decided to to go that route and to join Kung Fu AI. Yeah, I think, you know, my background was a little bit varied and isn't really the typical kind of background. Usually a lot of people in this field come from a computer science background exclusively. Um, but at, at Kung Fu AI, I had a, had a conversation with our CTO, Ron Green, before I joined. And at the time, it was somewhat of a risky proposition, at least from my perspective, because it's such a small company. 
I think I was employee number seven or eight or so. And I just really appreciated the human touch he had with it. Um, it was very clear to me that Kung Fu was focused on having a very ethical approach to things. Um, and they really valued people over machines, which sounds a little crazy considering it's an artificial intelligence company. Um, but at the same time, it's a very culture first organization. And I knew right away after that conversation that it was a really clear fit. And I've been, you know, my expectations have been exceeded basically every day since I've been here. So it's been a really good time. Awesome. And it's not every day that, that I have a conversation about artificial intelligence and machine learning, but you can't help but see, you know, all of the different types of technologies that are out there. And it's it's obviously being utilized a ton nowadays. So I guess what, what are some of the like most interesting things that, that you're working on or that you are seeing uh, just from an AI perspective today? Yeah, I think we're seeing that it's, you know, A, it's not an inherently bad or good technology. It's just extremely powerful, but it's also extremely pervasive. And it goes, you know, it touches just about every aspect of business. And, you know, every corner we look behind, there's some new use case that we're uncovering that, you know, folks might not have thought of before. Um, so I do mean it when I say that our use cases are varied all over the place. Um, we're working with healthcare clients, uh, government clients. We've got retail clients, and we have we've found a lot of use cases for very generic techniques. Um, I would say that some of the work we do, you know, we do work with radar systems, where we will try to detect, you know, anomalous behavior in whatever the field of view is with the with um, you know, with wherever this radar system might be deployed. Um, we work with a lot of natural language applications where. You know, a common task is this uh, thing called named entity recognition, where you have these huge swaths of text that might otherwise be indecipherable to humans just because it's it's just so big and so hard to wrap your head around. Um, so we can go find these short, relevant spans of text that are, you know, we've deemed very interesting to us on a subset of data. And then we can have these generalized artificial intelligence algorithms go out and try to find things that are similar in completely unseen data. We're finding that it's just really powerful and um, it's providing a lot of value to our clients, especially if uh, done in a really secure and uh, ethical way. Okay. And when I think of AI, I know there's a coding aspect to it. Are, Are you coding or are you more just providing information around the best way to utilize AI and, and ML? Which, which, which front are you sitting on? Yeah, I do. I mean, lately I haven't been doing as much individual contributor work, but certainly we're all mostly Python people. Uh, we're really big into the open source community. We have a couple of uh, published libraries that we have ourselves. And I guess the fundamental difference between AI and traditional computing and software engineering is that AI is very data-driven. It's built around the data, and it's a lot more data-focused, whereas historically it might be a little more uh, rules-focused, and you know you got a lot more heuristics in your pipelines and um, and the like. And w- what are some of the biggest hurdles today just for overall AI adoption? It, it doesn't seem like there may be a lot of hurdles, but there they probably could be because everyone is still trying to wrap their arms around, okay, do we need some type of artificial intelligence because we need to do things a lot quicker and faster and we need to automate and all of those good things. But 
any any hurdles today besides maybe one I could think of is probably compliance. I, I don't think that there's anything blocking widespread adoption of AI. It's just a lot of the people that are really good at building these algorithms typically come from very academic backgrounds. Um, historically, that Venn diagram overlap with people that are more well-versed in um, you know, traditional software engineering best practices, building maintainable and scalable systems and services. Um, so I think forming the right team is a little bit tricky nowadays. But that said, at the end of the day, when you're deploying some sort of ML uh, tool, microservice, what have you, only about 10% of the actual in, end use case is ML. There's still all the stuff around it that's the typical, you know, you need production staging, you need databases, you need, um, you need schema well-defined, unit testing, coverage, all, all those traditional software engineering best practices and techniques. That, that doesn't magically go away. You still need that. Um, and those are often the biggest hurdles in taking something that works in a development environment and pushing it across the finish line over into a production use case. And is there one industry that you see actually growing faster around AI adoption? Like, I don't know, maybe the healthcare industry or the financial services industry. Is there one over the other that seem to be adopting AI more than the other? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm definitely involved with the business development team. So I get a little bit, I get to peek behind the curtain a little bit and see what types of use cases are emerging more frequently than others. And healthcare certainly is really accelerating. There's a lot of, uh, lot of data there, a lot of incredible use cases with a lot of potentially really great impact for humanity in general. The compliance issue is a little bit of a hurdle. You know, HIPAA regulations are often difficult for entities to comply with. Luckily, we're HIPAA certified. But, I mean, you're, you're also right. The, the financial services industry retails really big it, it's it seems like anytime someone takes the time to look and see how ai might impact their business it just unlocks this floodgate of potential opportunities um, so we haven't found anywhere that it wouldn't be helpful really yeah and so i guess some of the things i can think about when i think about ai just in my industry so data protection backup recovery one is, as you mentioned earlier, anomalous events like with ransomware. I'm sure you've heard of ransomware. If um, someone hacks into a system or they're actually accidentally let into a, a system and they actually encrypt that data, uh, but AI can determine whether or not the files were encrypted because typically uh, the backup system is not you know, backing up that many changed files. And so it would be like a ridiculous number of files that were changed because they were encrypted. But I know that's one typically like looking for anomalous events. Uh, do you have any other use cases of maybe cool use cases that things that you've seen that AI is doing today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the cybersecurity industry, that's a, that's a great one to bring up. We, we've certainly seen some use cases uncovered there. We, we often find that network graph approaches are really applicable here where you know, if you have any problem that could be constructed with, you know, some semblance of what a node might be, in this case, it could be machines or people that are interacting with one another, um, and then edges that connect those nodes that might be network connections or, you know, locations or something similar like that. And we've done some 
research on our end about trying to uncover anomalous behavior in networks without trying to, or yeah, uncover that behavior without having to have a human that's supervising and actively looking at that network traffic. And it works surprisingly well considering how imbalanced those data sets are. Anomalies are anomalous. You don't get a lot of examples of them. So the fact that a machine is able to pick up on that is pretty incredible. And I know cloud plays a, a really large role here. And, you know, some of the public cloud vendors like AWS and, and Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud. And you, I think you mentioned microservices a little earlier as well in the conversation. What, how do you feel about containers? And what, I guess, what role do, do you think that they are, I guess, also going to play in the future when it comes to, you know, maybe AI also? I love containers. <laughs> we have a uh, we have a development philosophy here where we try to make sure to develop as close to the the end state and production as possible. And one of the implications there is that a lot of times we'll we'll start in a Docker container with a lot of the dependencies that we'll ultimately need downstream from day one, and that helps in a lot of cases where um, you know we're, we're finding that automation and security is incredibly important. It's just too risky to rely on you know checklists and human error when you could just automate and guarantee that something's going to be the same every time. So for something like, for instance, credential management, if you can set precedents for those with project templates, um, you know, containerized deployments, and and set up as much of that infrastructure from day one in your development environment as possible, the likelihood of a breach or some sort of um, you know, ransomware attack, like you mentioned, is just drastically reduced. Got it. And um, I'm sure that you see quite a bit nowadays, uh, I guess, during like implementations of AI and ML. And also, I'm sure you've heard the phrase of data is now the new oil. I think there are like maybe 50 or, or 100 phrases now around data because oh, sure, yep. we're in this thing called, uh, what is it, digital transformation, which, you know, people are really like, okay, well, why are we still using that word, right? Mm -hmm. But yep. just around overall good practices or, or bad practices around data hygiene, have you seen companies or any, anyone that you're working with around developing good data protection habits or data hygiene habits? Have you seen good habits? Have you seen bad habits? What have you seen out there? Yeah, I think we've seen everything under the sun you know, we sometimes we work with early stage startups that don't even really have a cloud infrastructure to speak of, um, and they want, uh, you know, some guidance and advice on how to set that up. And then in other cases, I would say in the most regulatory or regulation constrained use cases like healthcare, they have to have a pretty well buttoned up infrastructure and good habits, or else they're just not compliant. Um, so I would say that the healthcare clients that we do work with by and large, really, really have their stuff together and have started to develop some really, really good precedents to set within the industry. And as, as far as a career in AI and, and ML, do you have any recommendations for maybe like a new graduate from college? Um, maybe they, they've been eyeing the industry. Do you have any recommendations for them, things for them to study or a route that they could possibly go down to expand on a career in AI? Yeah, I actually get that question a lot. I, I do a little mentorship on the side. And one of the things that I that I always um, tell students is that because AI and ML is so pervasive 
and because it touches just about every uh, you know side of the industry or all industries, I should say, there's room for you to find a really niche intersection between passions you might have outside of work and applying these techniques directly to those passions. Um, you know, an example would be if you're an amateur gardener and you just happen to love gardening, it's what you're all about. Um, finding people that are using machine learning to try to, you know, maximize crop production or identify uh, pests that might be invading certain species on properties or, you know, there's, there's tons and tons to look at there. And I, and I often find that if the passion is there beforehand, all the learning and all the stuff that comes after that is kind of a foregone conclusion just because you love it from day one. So that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would offer. Got it. And are you reading any interesting books, any, any book recommendations or things that you're reading that, that you think you, maybe the Gumbo listeners can learn from? Yeah, that's a great question. I've actually tried to shift away from, I've been kind of a nonfiction purist pretty much my whole life. And I've tried to uh, switch over to fiction a little bit more recently. So to be honest, I'm reading things like um, I've read Walden in the past by Henry David Thoreau, and I'm I'm re- rereading that one at the moment. Um, has absolutely nothing to do with machine learning or technology, but I would recommend one book I'm finding myself coming back to all the time is it's a book called Deep Learning with Python, and it's by the creator of the Keras Library, which is a you know it's a deep learning framework that's really commonly used. And yeah, his name's Francois Cholet. He's the author. And it's one of the most readable and digestible jump starts you can get to just jumping into machine learning if you have even a little bit of programming experience. And it's a little computer vision focused, but I think it's probably the greatest jump start you could probably get. And I still reference it to this day on just about a weekly basis. Yeah, I think I listened to a podcast by that particular person before. I can't remember. Oh yeah, he's pretty prolific. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and and also as you were mentioning that book, I, I thought about something that I, I wanted to ask you as well. APIs. How important are, are APIs when it comes to you know AI and ML? I think they're extremely important. You know, a lot of times we'll find it's it's really easy to jump directly to the solution and start you know developing API contracts and what yeah what have you, but if you start earlier and make sure that the business problem that you're solving in the first place is really well established, then jumping back into the APIs, I think makes a lot of sense. I would say that most of the deliveries we make to clients are essentially just microservices that are containerized that have some sort of prediction API that's serving inference. Um, And that inference changes depending on what the use case is. Um, But generally we want to build a black box for clients so that they can send in some piece of data that this model, this machine learning model has never seen before and get, get back some sort of inference or insight that they can use downstream. And you know, you can, you can dress up the AI ML world as much as you can, but in, in most cases, that common thread is, is something that's really, really easy to uh, deploy into existing infrastructure and really impactful. And one last question here. If if there was a, a C-level executive, let's say a, a CIO, and they were on the fence around utilizing AI in ML, what, what would you say to them? I would say that 
you know, certainly go seek experts. I mean, you can obviously reach out to Kung Fu AI and we'd, we'd be glad to help out and identify if there are any gaps or use cases you might have. We can certainly look into that. Um, but I would say just educate yourself as much as you can. And there's a little bit of pressure to try to do that sooner rather than later, because I think we'll find ourselves, we'll wake up in a year or two and find that those who haven't tried to adopt this early on have kind of lost their competitive footing because we're seeing so many use cases, especially when it comes to graph applications, natural language, computer vision. It's becoming kind of the norm. And if you don't take a moment to take a beat, educate yourself, at least in the context of your own domain, and really see if there's going to be any impact there, um, you might wake up in a year or two and find out that you might might have missed the boat. All right. And how can Gumbo listeners reach out to you? Is that LinkedIn or some other social platform? Uh, LinkedIn's great. I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty delinquent on all my social media, uh, kind of intentionally. <laughs> okay. But I do keep up with LinkedIn. And if you want to send me an email, it's just Michael at Kung Fu AI or Kung Fu AI. Feel free. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking time out to have a conversation with us on Data Protection Gumbo. Likewise. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.